welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I wanted to frame today that this is not about the execution of the word in any way. This is, I wrote this, this is only about the delivery. You know, much like a delivery driver, whenever they come to your house, they don't come inside and open the package, right? So today is just, we just need to deliver it this way. And, you know, don't be nervous about if it, you can't understand it all. You know, we're going to open the packages together this year. And so part of our job today is just be the delivery driver of all these really cool packages. And they're all, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. I wanted to just thank everybody that helped us. You know, Tessa did a bunch of drawings. So at the end, she'll be back there at the table and she'll be able to sign any of your drawings that you would like. I got one in there from Aubrey as well, so I'm sure they would love to sign their drawings. And of course, Cece has put together the most perfect book of her portion. You know, my portion is just all scattered, but her portion is perfect, and she would love to sign her version too. So if you need some signatures, they'll be back there at the little round table at the end. So I just want to give honor where honor is due. And, um, You know, I just can't do it without people's help. It's not about just one person. And there's just so many conversations and moments in time that have influenced this word today. And so I can't I can't say them all here. But just know, you know, as you hear what God is delivering today, just know that, you know, your heart is what his um, objective is today. That his trajectory for the word is about your heart and about it actually pouring over you um, in a new way today. And so that's, that is, that's my, my uh, intro. So the word um, this year is in six parts. This year is, six is the number this year. And so be I'm going to talk about it a little bit here in just a minute, but that's really important. And it's really important the way God sees six. God is three, you are three, and that is six. That's how he sees this number this year, that any place that the three of him can be invited by the three parts of you, he will come and he will pour out something amazing. And so it doesn't matter if it's this big or really big. That's just the moment in time where you can release the power in a new way this year. I wanted to start before I handed out our fancy booklet, and I have to say I'm pretty proud of it. Um, uh, I wanted to tell you what began part of the word for us this year. And um, a few months ago, I had a dream. And the name of the word for my portion this year is Oculus Prime. And in the dream, um, there was some. There was a lady in the dream, and just to say, the lady represents the bride. And in the dream, the lady was having a problem, and I was rushing her to the hospital. And the hospital represents the church. And in the dream, I was putting her in the wheelchair, and when I put her in the wheelchair, her head fell off. And whenever I I grabbed her head off the ground 
and I was trying to position it back onto her body, but her neck was real tiny. It was like a little post. Listen, this word's really fun this year, so if you if you don't know that, this should start out. And so as I began to try to figure out if you can only imagine, you know, how to get it just positioned just right, because it was important to me that her head faced forward and these different things that you would want with a head, right? And so this nurse came up to me and I said to her, I said, I cannot quite see if I'm doing this right. It's another portion of the word this year is to ask a lot of questions of people who know stuff. And so she, she leaned over to me and she said, do you know her name? And I said, I do. And she said, just begin to say her name really sweet and tell her she's having an Oculus Prime. And so I got her head and I leaned over <laughs> and I started saying her name and I said, you're only having an Oculus Prime. And so that's why I named it Oculus Prime. I got a lot of fun, fun stuff from that. Um, and the second dream I had was that there was, I had, Shudi and I had been invited, one second. Um, Shudi and I had been invited, sorry, see this one, I don't hold the mic because my right hand shakes and so it's not good. Um, only on the right side. Um, Shudi and I had been invited to this farm, and on this farm, this family had these trees, and these trees would um, form these pods, and these pods had one moment in time during the year that they would explode into sort of like a dandelion-looking pod, but it was much more grandeur than a dandelion. But the best way I know to describe it was it had these silk um, tentacles that came out of the pod. And so they would gather from this one tree these groups of three and four and five pods, and they would overnight them to people across the entire world. And those people would open them the next day, and they would bloom right in front of their eyes. And so... They had invited us because there were a few rejected pods that they wanted to give to us, and they wanted us to get to experience them opening. And so what was really cool in the dream is that we got there and we had our little rejected pod, you know. In other words, the outside wasn't perfect. They couldn't mail it off because, you know. And so we were looking at the pod, and I said to her, I'm going to light this thing on fire because I want it to bloom right now. And so I lit it on fire, and it was about this big, you know. And when I did, I started to throw it down because the entire thing was on fire, but then I just felt this need to just hold it. And so I just held it, and while I held it, it exploded into, I can't describe it hardly, but basically all these silk, little tentacles began to explode into it was about this big and it just it just began to flame up and of course it only lasted for a second and so those are the two dreams I had that you get to ponder on as I talk today so I was going to have Shudi pass out these booklets
Now, Tessa drew this eye. I know it probably looks like I just copied it from somewhere, but Tessa drew this eye, and it's really significant, I, th I believe, about the color of the eye and the, all the detail of the eye. If you can really look into the eye and how crazy depth and re of depth and reality it is, and and so I just I really love it. I really appreciate her incredible ability to um, to try to put in art form what I described to her. And, you know, obviously Oculus Prime is not anything I've ever heard before. And so I, <laughs> I, someone mentioned to me that, um, there was a, uh, transformer that was something similar. What was it? Optimus, uh, Prime, right? So obviously, I, I mean, I didn't know that, but it would be cool if I had known it anyway, but it's cool that I don't know it. But I just began to research it. And, you know, Oculus is an interesting word. I actually had an appointment with the eye doctor recently, and I told him about my dream be, because I just wanted to. You know, he's he's a Christian, and I think it kind of he he was sitting when I was sitting there, I was telling him about the dream and he was very captivated by it. And he leaned over and he pointed to this eye. And shockingly enough, this eye she drew, which she didn't know, and the eye he pointed to, they were almost identical. I thought to myself, like when she finally showed me this drawing, I was like, wow, it was just so crazy how they they were looking the same way. And so I feel like all of that's going to be unfolding. Again, I'm not here to today unfold every bit of it. But an Oculus is there on the first page. I mean, is your uh, table of contents, but turn to the next page. Um, Oculus meaning is there. Um, and it's a round or eye-like opening or design, such as a circular window or an opening at the apex of a dome. The Latin word means eye for Oculus. And of course, prime is the first importance, the main thing. And so just in that simple definition, maybe you can see that it could unfold into so many ways for us this year. But that tells me that from God's perspective, there's an opening that needs to become the main thing. And so hopefully we can describe that to you now. The oculus is another way to say it. I put it in bold. There is the organ of vision without vision, right? I'm, I have those scriptures on here as well. Without that vision, we would die, right? And so part of what I believe God is doing this year is not only transforming our own vision, but he is going to be in helping you to encounter people who need a, a transplant. Of this organ needs to be reinvented, if you will, restored within them of what the vision is. You know, what happens in society is whatever the media attaches to, we act like that's a reality. And when we live by any portion, you know, one of the things I've noticed in our business is that when we, we do a lot of probably older people because they have money. And, um, <laughs> And so when you go to their house and you can see like what's on the TV, that is 
infiltrating their home with information that is um, ha- that that particular entity has deemed important. And if we have a personal heart agenda that connects with that, then, then a lot of times we have traveled down a road of belief and we don't even know it. And so I wanted to just put a couple of snippets about the eye because I felt like this was going to be important for us as we move forward this year. In the embryo, that's when you're first formed, right? So, I mean, I think life probably starts there, the embryo. I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) The eye develops as a direct extension of the brain. Think of that. Just that statement alone I needed to put in there. A direct extension of the brain. Now, remember, I talk metaphorically, and it's up to you to go search out a matter, you know. And so, you know, especially I learned it in dream interpretation. I've talked about before John Paul Jackson's um, course that I took on the art of hearing God was actually ultimately about dream interpretation. But dream interpretation actually is the art of hearing God. While I'm talking today, you actually have a supernatural brain that's ingesting information that's transferring it into the supernatural for you to walk out. Now, I the the eye is obviously a natural thing, but this message, this word, everything that Cece's going to say today is really a metaphor for activity in life. So to protect the eye, the bones of the skull are shaped so that, oh, I should have put that picture on there, an orbital cavity protects protects the dorsal aspect of each eyeball. That's cool design by God, right? Right? And, you know, my brother recently fell and hit the corner doorknob of his front door. But if it wasn't for that bone, he wouldn't have an eye today. So that it's, it's perfectly shaped by God for protection. So think metaphorically right there. I'm just going to help you with just this one. I'm not going to do it this whole time. Right there, think for a moment. What is protecting your ability to see in the supernatural? There's a perfectly formed, right? I, I propose to you it's the family of God. As I become... See, God didn't give you a family of God to control you. He gave you a family of God to protect and nurture you. And so the enemy's contribution to that is that it's control. And so that's laughable because it's kind of like saying, oh, well, I didn't need this bone. Like we don't, we don't pick all the ways and things we need. So that's, if you can translate that as we go along, that'll be good. Um, in addition, the conject, say it, conjunctival. See, I knew there's a bunch of big words. I almost had Cece read this part. Sat covers the front of the eyeball and lines the upper and lower eyelids. Tears from the, that one, that constantly wash the eye to remove foreign objects and the lids and eyelashes help protect the front of the eye. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. Now, structure and function. This is really important. The structure, the eyeball has three coats. It talks about right there all the coats that it has. Be sure and read that. And then the function. Now, I wanted to talk about the function for a minute. I love this statement. The refraction or bending 
of light rays so that they focus on the retina and can be thus transmitted to the optic nerve is accomplished by three, there's three again, structures. So that's that's a really cool thought for a minute, right? So if we were to, and you can read the rest of that, I want to move down to the structure and function and vision of the supernatural. Now think about it, it's on the next page. This eye of yours, there's an actual supernatural version of it. As you begin to study those things I put in there about the eye, try your best to translate those into the supernatural because those things are in operation. So think about the types of vision I've listed there. Think about, um, like I'm forming a cataract right now. My eyeball's forming a cataract. Now, what is a cataract? It's something that basically begins to darken things. Now, I'm, you know, going to be a candidate for a new lens implant. So once I get my new lens implant, then I'm not going to even need my glasses except for to read probably a little bit. Now, that's a technology that's just been developed, you know, in my lifetime. What cataract, when cataracts form, now it's kind of a deal. Hurry up and get a cataract so you can get the lens implant. Because <laughs> the insurance will pay for it or something, you know. It's such a weird thing, right? And so think about this in the supernatural for a minute, okay? That even when darkness begins to form, over our supernatural vision, right? There is, there is a transplant. There is a way for God to give you a new lens. And that's what's happening today. It doesn't really matter what you thought yesterday. God's actually performing surgery on you as we speak today. And so you are in a great place, I'm sure, but you're going to be in a greater place because you're going to be able to see things you couldn't see before. So in 2020, this is my summarization. In 2023, increased light will increase vision. So think about where you can have increased light. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the chaos of each individual to let it be as he desires through his leading and speaking over us as we yield we are changed into the beauty that his heart desires us to be. As we remove cataracts from our own eyes, spiritual cataract removal is by ingesting and believing the word of life, the word of God. Our spiritual discernment, wisdom, and insight will increase. I feel like it's really been a significant emphasis for this year, 2023, that the word of God becomes more alive to you. It's interesting that Aubrey and um, Army both wanted a Passion Bible for Christmas this year. That that tells me prophetically they understood the nature of the word. You know, of course, Lynn and I were so excited to get that. And, you know, because that that we have to read it, though. You know, we can't just get us a Bible and say, I got one. I got me one. We have to actually read it. Right. And so it's really important to to open the word this year. Let me just ask a question. Do, I, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I feel like just as I said that, I felt like the Holy Spirit just reminded me that 
that it's his spirit that illuminates the word into more than it used to be. So part of what's really good for you is to begin, if you're not filled with the spirit, to seek that out. But if you are filled with the spirit, I like to just sometimes just pray in the spirit before I read and just ask the Holy Spirit to show me anything in there that and it just keeps unfolding. I mean, that's the cool thing about the word, right? Right. Oculus points to the supernatural opening this year for those whose hearts are tuned into the light of heaven. Through this opening, heaven will shine new light onto the word of God and into the hearts and minds of those ingesting it. Heaven's light radiates so that it can be refracted through our own hearts to cover the earth with the knowledge of how we know him. That's one. Of, this is one of our main you know, missions obviously is Habakkuk 2.14. The time is coming. This is this time. It's been going on for years, but it's, in, it's going to really increase this year. Basically, as I know the word, I will read. The way the picture I saw was that I would read something in the word and this would cause there to be this oculus that would open up above me. And the light, what happens if you'll, you can even look it up. When there's an oculus, there's light that comes and whatever object it hits below, it refracts onto something else. It bends onto something else. And so as I read the word, there's opening would happen. Then the light would come down and it would, it would bend off of my heart, how I learned it. And it would then cover the earth with the knowledge of how I've just learned about him. And Cece's word is going to talk about the answer and the practicality of this today. Now, our two words, we developed them uh, independently. And so I didn't get with her, but we just yesterday, if you can believe it, was the first time we really read them all in, in tandem. And so we saw how they intertwined together. And so this is really important to remember. And it's now prime time. I've been reading and watching a lot about um, Dion, and Bro and I are just going to fly out to his first game. I'm pretty sure, um, and um, and it's it's kind of exciting. I know uh, I've followed him throughout the years, and I you know a lot of stuff I know about him just randomly. I don't even it wasn't even intentional, but it's just it is just this year, and so I think God emphasized that to me for this reason. Prime time to make the main thing the most important thing. Each member of the body of Christ must prioritize what is important from the Godhead's perspective, making what is illuminated through this oculus the main thing, the main lane. So now I propose to you that I just love this word oculus so much. I've just been saying it to myself, but it, it can take on so many different forms. Um, and, and it is meant to give us a greater vision you know, think about it. If you're reading a piece of paper in the dark and you just open the blinds or whatever, you immediately have more light to read what you're reading. But think about the light of heaven in that way. Something you just read yesterday, if you read it today under this new anointing, there would be a, a new vision for it. There would be a new understanding. There would be a new light that illuminated new things. And that's that's the exciting thing of the funness of this word this year. It's so fun to me to think 
that it's just simply a new illumination of something. I I want that. I don't know about you, but I want that. Now, I I did list a bunch of different ways that we have vision, but I stumbled on just the last few weeks. Is Phil Cook is a guy in media, Christian man, and he said this, that we don't want to become future blind. Right? Have you ever been future blind? One, the future scares us. That's the truth, because it's unknown. But God does nothing until he tells his prophets. So future, the future is actually known. You know, think about it. In my lifetime, when the Passion Translation was released, it changed how I saw the Song of Solomon and Revelation. Those two books alone, if you haven't read them, change the trajectory of everything I do with my life. I used to read Song of Solomon and thought, well, I've got to get married. And I hope I can find a guy that does that. There's <laughs> so much pressure on men. No wonder men rebelled and didn't come to church, right? All the women were gathered there trying to find that guy. I don't know if this happened at your church, but I'm telling you this was going on. Right? And, and so we were future blind. And so when Revelation, when he began to unveil Revelations, the book of Revelation, it's the same way. We went from thinking we were going to get saved out of this crappy old world. Please, Jesus, come back now. Save us. And then we realized we were supposed to clean up the world. And we were like, wait, what? Like, no, I thought I was going to get rescued out. And if we can't change that one mindset, we will be miserable on earth. Because you are meant to experience great problems and tribulations that you have an answer for. You are meant to. If you're so scared of problems that you just want to be rescued, you will miss the opportunity to have a divine, supernatural release of your anointing. And so, you know, we... we um, We have a lot of cars at this house we live at now. And we... We have all of our re stuff we're going to remodel the house in the garage. So you know what that means. We can't park in the garage. And Pam got her new moped and it's in there. with It's, it's the only thing in the garage that's drivable with a big old cover on it in the garage. I'm like. <laughs> so we decided we would pour some cement. Not us personally. It bro it made bro nervous. But we're, we're having some. And so, in order to pour this new cement, we had to change the fence. Well, see, that's, I love that, because I get to design a new fence. So, I should have put a picture up there. So, yesterday, in, in just like a day and a half, my children, while, I'm, while I am making this booklet, they are out doing my design on this fence. And it's beautiful. You got a picture of it? And it's beautiful. But I was sitting there thinking yesterday, I was thinking, we could have just went back with the same one. Because it existed. We could just cut that dude loose. You know? Are you with me? But see, that's part of stewardship, is that 
an opportunity for a problem is an opportunity for an upgrade. It just is. And so, you know, there was joy in the new design that we wouldn't have had by just moving the old one. And the people that got to participate with it, I mean, it was freezing cold yesterday. They, they enjoy the process of making something beautiful. And see, that is such a good analogy for our lives, that when you come up against something that needs to be changed, it's an opportunity for an upgrade. You can go back with the old crappy thing. You can. You have permission to do that. I had permission to do that. But it's the upgrade that brought the joy. The viewing of the upgrade, the getting to participate in making the upgrade happen, to stand back and say, I did that. That's the joy. And that's, that's important to do that, to be not future blind. It's the inability to see anything beyond the present, to be blind to what's coming, a failure to anticipate the future. When we bought this house, I said, we're going to do this cement and this cement. It was the part of the reason I could convince the people to buy the house. Cause we were like, where are we going to park all these cars? And I said, but we can do this and we can do this. And they believe me. And this week it's happening. Now, see, we can't do that by ourselves. And that's the truth about our lives as well. Are you with me? So I want to give you a couple of cool scriptures. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there's no clear prophetic vision. That is not this house. Have you been there? Remember what Johnny Enlow said, you better get to a house that is prophetically in tune. And I promise you that's this house. Okay? That's exciting because there's not going to be, be a day that I get up here that I haven't actually, actually let the Holy Spirit tell me what he had on his mind today. He can change anything. It says, people quickly wander astray without prophetic vision. That should tell you something. You have got to have a prophetic vision for your life. You will be aimless. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Again, I'm telling you, this is a joy-filled word. So Habakkuk 2.2, and then God answered, write this, write what you see. That's what we've done here in this little booklet. We have written what we saw. We saw it in dreams, and Cece actually had an open vision that she's going to talk about. And we've wrote it in block letters, the things that it says, we did this. It says, the vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. So this is what it's saying. There is something on God's heart, and it's already been said by him. He looks for a candidate on earth to tell it to. Depending on if they deliver it or not, depends on if the other person can do it or not. So see, there's steps to it, and that's why it's an unpacking. Because all of you hearing this hear something different for your own life. But the key and the core to having success this year is to lay aside what you hear and actually spend time with him to see what he says. You're going to hear something today when she's talking, while I'm talking, it's going to ping you. Emmy's already getting pinged and activated. But see, let's lay that down when it comes to it and say, okay, but Holy Spirit, what do you got? What's the upgrade for my life, for my family? It says, it can hardly wait. 
There's something right now that can hardly wait to unfold in your life. And it doesn't lie. It does not lie. So if I'm telling you today there's an Oculus Prime, I'm leaning over you and saying, you're just having an Oculus Prime. That means your head just fell off. I don't know if you got that, but your little literal head just fell off. And I'm reassuring you with, you just had it. In other words, what? You just had a repositioning of your head. If it seems slow in coming, wait. How many have been waiting for something that God said was going to happen? Keep waiting. It's coming. It's on its way. It's going to be right on time. Now turn the page. Now this is really fun for me. Just have a couple more parts here. Um, that... Uh, in my research, the very first thing when I looked up Oculus Prime, there is actually a formula to control weeping eyes of dogs. What the heck? Now, my little cat, she has weepy eyes. And so I was, I'm, I'm not going to get her this. But anyway, it's two forms of seaweed, seaweed. Seaweed. I don't have time to get into that. I did a little research on that. But it only made me think of these two scriptures. Weeping may endure for a night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Every place I look in this word is about joy coming this year. Joy, 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 joy is coming, is coming, is coming, is coming. There is something you're going to ingest that is going today to turn something you've been sad about into joy. And I like Revelation 21, 4, he'll wipe away every tear we don't... Our Oculus Prime is also wiping away tears. And eliminate death entirely. No one will mourn or weep anymore. The pain of wounds will no longer exist for the old order has ceased. That's good. Now, the next thing that happened was I had had this dream and I had done a little research on it and it was really fun and and I was just getting it prepared and it was not very much long later that I had this thought, I'm going to buy for our family a pair of those augmented reality glasses, AR glasses. And I started looking into it. Now, when I first started looking into it, I didn't find this because years ago I went to Disney World and they had this place called Disney Quest and they had these glasses that you would put on of course they were massive then <laughs> they were like <laughs> you know and you could play a game against another person in your little circle and the game that they had on these augmented reality glasses was star wars and they you had a lightsaber but the funny part about it wasn't playing the game it was watching the people play the game that had the glasses on and they, I don't think, do you remember how hard we laughed? I laughed and laughed and laughed because, you know, they're look, they're just like, <laughs> they're doing all this stuff. And they, it's, they're not even, I mean, it's just nothing, nothing. And they actually had a little arena that you, they had to stay in because you would just get so crazy, you know. And so I had this thought about how funny that would be. Again, joy just kept popping up. And so I had to write down what augmented reality was. Um, 
It's, you know, the integration of digital information with the user's environment in real time, okay? Y'all know what these are, right? But listen to this. Augmented reality manages to blend digital and 3D components with an individual's perception of the real world. So see, in this circle that they were swinging their little um, lightsabers, thank you, they didn't know what they looked like. Is anybody getting it yet? You don't know. See, if you're more focused on what you look like, you won't enjoy the ride. See, he's trying to blend the supernatural force of the divinity that needs someone to express him. You don't get to have all that control when you're expressing him. The other thing is that I said it's a direct metaphor about our perceived reality in relation to our vision being altered positively or negatively. So what you're watching, right, affects positively or negatively this new reality. Is that cool? Now, the final thing I saw on Oculus was, and I did not know this. I don't even know how I didn't know it. But there is a building in New York City that they built. It's a train station, and it's called the Oculus. And it's where the 9-11 bombing was, so they stripped, you know, got rid of those two tall buildings. They built this train. Now, really, use your imagination, but does that not look like the perfect formation of worship right there? Now, the next picture, that green and red one, this is the Oculus right here. When the light shines, now they got these lights on there of course but there's there is a hole in the roof a window in the roof the oculus there's a you can look this up there's all kinds of pictures when that light shines down through there is the perfect example of this i had no idea this even existed it's the perfect worship position opens the oculus prime for you it's a fun word right before we have just a little break, I have one final thing that's on my part, and it's 2023 is the year of man. That's this year, mankind. So be watching for the number six. This is what he told me. The year of man is, is number six. It's a biblical number for mankind. Be sure to pay close attention this year to where the sixes appear. This will be a year when mankind exhibits its divine nature for unity. The process of this will be revealed in our next portion of the word from CC. Now, I put this scripture, Ephesians 1, in three different versions. I want to invite you to memorize this this year. I wanted to pray and read this over us, and then we'll have a short break. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened and flooded with the light by the Holy Spirit. That's your Oculus Prime right there. So that you will know and cherish the hope, which is the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people. And so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited 
and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray this scripture over us right now as we embark on this year of Oculus Prime, as we invite you to come in and restructure our minds and our hearts and everything that has to do with this word. We just pray right now that you would release your divine nature for unity in us. And I just speak over this. This is the year where, where men and women become who you've made them to be in Jesus name. Let's take a little five minute break. Okay. So our next part, um, CC was able to describe to Tessa. So she drew this secrets of the honeycomb. Isn't that fun? I love it. I'm excited for you to hear all that Cece, the Lord has shown to her. It's really incredible how her brain works. And I love the scientific side of her, but then the practical side of... So I would say that, you know, part of the way the word is rolling out this year is... Um, I told her my part is to tell what God wants done, and her part is to tell us the practical side of how it's going to be done. And so she has an amazing revelation about the honeycomb, and I just wanted us to stand, and if you can, and um, just welcome her to come and share her part. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Oh, it's been so fun already, hasn't it? Yes. I, as Tisa was um, sharing that with us, I realized um, I, I was being, myself was being explained to me, you know, how I'm sure you've all had that experience many times sitting out there. But I had this interesting experience this morning, um, you know, being a feeler, I know the Holy Spirit speaks through my feelings a lot, and I just had the best night's sleep last night. I, I woke up like just, you know, as light as a feather. I was having a grand old time this morning. I just felt totally at peace and at ease with everything and to the extent that I almost, it almost made me nervous because I was like, I don't normally feel like this on Sunday mornings. Like, Maybe, you know, my over-responsible side was trying to say, you should be, you know, more focused and you should be feeling more intense about this and you should be, you know, like, you know a certain way about it. And it, like I told her, I said, I, feel, I told Tisa, I said, I feel so good. It's kind of scary. And I realized as I was sitting there and she was talking that that I was experiencing what the result of the word that's being released this year is going to have. That is really what it's what I feel like, especially this part of my of the word that, that I'm going to share with you is about that he's releasing a new ease into our experience with him and just with life, just in this in the, on this earth. And so, um, I like to share my process with you, and and so I'm going to start there and then go into all the cool um, nuggets that he shared with me, and so. Um, right, I think it was like December 21st or so, um, I had found myself, and in, in this book, I did write everything out because it's just my process, you know, and I like to do that. 
but don't feel like you have to read with me. I'll just kind of read some stuff to you and, and we'll talk about it and you can read through it all later and you can just kind of follow along. So um, at the end of December, which is not that uncommon, but it's especially busy month, you know, and I found myself feeling just wound so tight and stressed out and I didn't even know why, you know, when suddenly things don't even make sense to you the way you're, you're feeling. And so I sat down with, with Papa and I was, you know, it's a place I've been so many times and I'll be there again, but it's like, it's all, it's all new, you know, like, Oh, help me. Like, what have I done? Like, how is this? Why do I feel this way? I don't understand. And, you know, and I just really started pouring my heart out to him and, and I realized in my process of writing with him what that I had really put um, self-management of my heart in this busy season above the process that he has been teaching me all these years. And so the priorities had gotten kind of messed up. You know, my prime wasn't my prime. I, I let the prime thing take second seat, you know, take the back seat to all the requirements that were going on just in the month of December. And so I think I'm sure everybody can relate to that one way or another. But I found myself um, feeling this movement underneath me that was scaring me at the same time. This like things were happening and I, I wasn't tracking and I felt like I couldn't think straight. And there was this movement happening that scared me even more than normal with this busy season and just kind of how I get locked down. And so in the process of talking with the Holy Spirit, with Papa, he began to show me how this independent way of managing my heart really locks me up. It paralyzes me and locks me up at that where I can hardly breathe, you know, and it, but that it's in response to what I'm feeling of this movement with him that I'm having this response of fear to this movement I'm feeling underneath me that triggers me into even more self-management until I get to the point that I'm finally so desperate that I'll ask him for help, you know, because he just brings it back around. So um, I really repented for having reprioritized things in my, in my process, in my life with him, and I, I asked him to come and help me. And I just, I admitted that I know that his way is always should be number one for me. And so he started to show me these various visions, similar to the vision that we shared, that I shared before. I started seeing all these images that I didn't know what they meant and they didn't make sense to me at the time. But I hung in there with him and, and really searched it out and let him speak to me. And over time, over this process that I went through, I began to see this really cool message. And so I realized that he was, he showed, the first picture I saw was this picture of an escalator. And an escalator, you know, it moves. It's moving. In fact, this very thing you're standing on flattens back out again, right? If you're ever, you almost can't watch an escalator while you're on it or you will get tripped up, you know? Because the very thing you're standing on, it slowly starts to disappear and then it just goes under the floor. And, you know, I mean, it, it's weird. And so... I realized that um, that the floor underneath me was shifting, but it was an escalator that was actually a form of something that to take me higher, something to take me higher. And he began to tell me that it was this movement I was feeling was actually him lifting me up above the things that were getting me tangled up. 
and that it was lifting me up closer to him, pulling me in closer to him to make me feel safe and to restore peace like I needed. And so he basically was telling me that movement that I sensed was a good thing, not something that I should be afraid of. And he even went so far as to say, you could be saying in that moment, look what you've done for me, look what you've done for me, Papa, right? Well, in the moment that I'm realizing he's telling me this, my feelings have not changed. And so I'm like, you're telling me that this thing that scares me, I should call good. You know, and he does that a lot. (laughs) So it's so important to do this process with him because if you'll stick with him instead of just being mad at him for telling you something, to like something that you don't feel comfortable with, he will, he will unfold it to your heart enough that your heart actually shifts and changes to where you can feel good about it and see it the way he sees it instead of kicking against it and being frustrated. So I, I just, you know, partnered enough with this truth to say, okay, uh, I can, I understand the concept. I don't feel it yet, but I understand the concept. It's making more sense. And then I saw this picture of a peacock that was green, and it had this big yellow stripe across it and a red stripe across it. And so I believe there's going to be even more to come out of what this this represented. But for now, what I heard him say about it was that the peacock represents, along with the colors green, yellow, and red, that this new perspective that he said, I'm about to give you a new perspective to see this differently, that it would lead to a new level of creativity, because peacocks represents creativity, as one who knows their position of royalty in the kingdom of God and freely illustrates the beauty of the kingdom. I believe green in this instance points to growth into a prosperous consciousness. Okay? It's what we were talking about. It's a a, a new lens uh, that where our reality, our augmented reality, you know, is changed to a prosperous mindset, a prosperous awareness of our reality, combined with yellow's hopeful mind. So if a prosperous consciousness would have hope in, in their mind, and red's wisdom, anointing, and power. So, I mean, just at a quick glance, that's a powerful difference, right? That's a powerful shift and something we would all desire. And so I was beginning to get a little more hopeful about that at that point in time. And uh, I could hear his promise, like there's just this feeling I, f- I feel when he's telling me something that it's like, oh, you mean this. Like when somebody's talking, you're like, you really mean it. Like you have a lot behind what you're telling me right now. I can't see it all and I can't feel it yet, but I, I feel the solid promise behind it and the power behind it, which is in- incredibly cool. So then I saw another picture and it was of bags of popcorn on Stadium bench seating, okay, like at the football arena, you know, and there were just bags of popcorn all over it. And so I was asking him, well, what does that mean? And I felt like he was saying, well, this movement, this ascending, because it was another picture of looking upward, like ascending up these the stairs of the stadium and the seats of the stadium, and that he was saying, this is supposed to be fun, like this ascension that I'm, I'm trying to bring you is supposed to be fun. In fact, you can just pop some popcorn, enjoy the show, enjoy the ride. You know, this is almost like entertainment. This could be considered entertainment to you. Just enjoy the ride. 
And so again, I, I asked him to really break me free of this paralyzing pattern. See, I recognize that it's a pattern. I know it's a pattern for me. And there's, uh, I want to say that there's something there that this is that really important thing that we said it not too long ago about the difference between conviction and condemnation. Because when you, that moment you know, I've been here before and you've told me this before, it could be a moment of condemnation and it will cut you off from the process of what he's trying to tell you if you hear it as condemnation and if you partner with condemnation. But if you receive it as a conviction, you connect that, like I said, that feeling of that power of the promise and the excitement behind it, then you're propelled to run towards it. You're, you're saying, convict me more, convict me more and break the pattern. I want the pattern broken in me more than just being rescued out of this moment. I want this pattern broken. And so I could feel that he was just, he's so sweet in responding to us when we go through this process with him. And so incredibly, like after I, I had this phrase, I don't know why, but it, I, it was come like a heavy hitter. Like I want to be hit hard with this. I don't even know. I don't use that word or phrase in language normally, but I, I was having this thing where I would find myself singing a song in my head and I had this thing like come like a heavy hitter and set me free. Come like a heavy hitter and set me free. And so I had to include that in the word because, you know, the next thing I saw was a picture of a honeycomb. And I saw it filled with honey. And of course, that represents sweetness. So I recognized, oh, uh, you know, this storage place of honey. It's dripping out of it. So much honey. It's so sweet. And then I heard that is a structure that cannot collapse. That is a structure that cannot collapse. And that's the first thing that, that's, that's, that's all he said at that point. And that's the first thing I knew. The honeycomb is a structure that cannot collapse. And I realized that he was showing me a picture of what he was trying to create in me. You know, what he's trying to create in all of us is a structure that cannot collapse. That's what he's building in us. That's how he designed us to, from the beginning. We are built and designed as a structure that cannot collapse. And he began to then invite me to see the secrets of the honeycomb. And so I launched into this process, which took place over several days, several different times of, of digging into what the secrets of the honeycomb were. But I was convicted, right? I knew there was so much goodness in this. And so I want to start off with just my first observations of looking up information about the honeycomb. So honeycombs, you can picture it, a lattice of hollow, thin-walled hexagons. Hexagons were important. Having a very high compression strength, a very low density, and that they are capable of dissipating heat well. A hexagonal honeycomb creates the most area with the least perimeter. Translated, that means, from a bee's perspective, that means you can store more honey in a larger volume while spending less energy building a structure to contain it. In short, honeycombs are extremely efficient in serving their purpose. Now, this if I'm sure you've at least thought about this or heard something about it at some point in your life, but bees and the honeycomb are, it's a marvel. It's a marvel 
in our world of how this happens and how they do this. I mean, the, there's so much we could probably study from on this topic, but he was speaking to me specifically about the honeycomb more than the bee itself even. But I, I think that it was interesting because the honeycomb, I mean, the bee actually builds the honeycomb, you know, the, the bee builds the honeycomb. It doesn't just, honeycombs don't appear in nature fully formed on their own. It's, it happens through a process, a process with the bee. And so the bee knows what it's building. It's building something for its purpose in life, right? I mean, it's, it knows it's a, it's a long-term process, a long-term goal. It, it, it's not future blind, right? And so um, honeycombs, however, though, I'll just, you just have to take my word for it. They are a marvel to scientists, to mathematicians, to biologists, the whole process. Have, there have been so many studies on this because it's a marvel. It's just um, an amazing part of, of what God made. And so I just know there were tons of secrets in here that he was pointing to. And so, and, and basically they're known though as one of the most efficient structures on earth. And it's naturally occurring in various ways, even beyond the honeycomb. So it's known as one of the most efficient structures. So if efficacy, you know, efficiency means that it does something with the most perfect use of energy. Like it doesn't, it's, there's no energy wasted. And it, it does it in such a way, the energy that's used creates something that serves its purpose, purpose perfectly. Okay. So, and he's saying he's wanting, that's us. He's saying that's us. So high compression strength, just to break that down, these three attributes means it's very strong. A honeycomb, a beehive is very strong. It's durable. It's not easily crushed. Okay. Um, it has a very low density. Honeycombs are not heavy. The bees aren't burdened with a heavy weight that they must accommodate for. They dissipate heat well, which means they don't melt because, you know, they're made out of wax. But yet they hang out in the middle of just exposed to everything, right? They're just out in the world exposed to all the elements, everything in the atmosphere. And they're made of wax, but they don't melt easily. And they're, another way to say this, they're able to withstand the heat in their environment and atmosphere. So honeycombs are, in fact, so structurally efficient that scientists and manufacturers have been reproducing it in all sorts of forms and that we see in our everyday. We see it in automobiles, airplanes, helicopters, all, sor all sorts of aerodynamic um, stuff, I'm sure, space shuttle, everything that flies, right? Because you need a lightweight material that actually holds up and doesn't crush. I mean, think about an airplane. It's going up higher into the atmosphere. There's pressure from gravity pushing it down. There's all sorts of atmospheric pressure on that. I mean, isn't it crazy how airplanes are like they exist <laughs> and they do their job and they don't fall out of the sky or get crushed? You know, it's pretty amazing. Honeycomb technology is used in that because they need a lightweight material that is durable and dissipates heat. I'm sure lots of movie scenes are coming to you right now, you know. It's used in LED technology for all these new light fixtures that are so lightweight, you can hardly believe it. Um, loudspeaker technology, snowboards, surfboards, furniture, 
Packing material is a huge one. If you don't know, there's a whole science, like I think you can get a degree specifically in how to pack a box, like how to pack goods in a box in a way that will, you know, Amazon can ship just anything to you now and it won't get crushed on the way and it will arrive intact because largely because of honeycomb structure. Boxes use honeycomb structure. The bubble wrap and different things sometimes use a honeycomb technology. So it's an amazing technology that we benefit from. So a man, as in other words, has sought this out and pursued this design from God. And so hexagons, obviously six-sided shapes. Now hexagons have been showing up everywhere in my world for the last, I don't know, six months. I mean, everywhere. They're just everywhere. Even in our house, I think it's technically an octagon, but we have a room that's shaped that's in the ceiling that way. I bought some new furniture. It has a pattern on there, very similar to that. I've just been seeing it a lot. And now he brings up hexagons. So six-sided shape, can't help but notice six is the number of man. Again, Tisa and I did not collaborate on this as we were hearing what God was saying. So this was totally coincidental that this emphasis of the number of man. So here's my hypothesis of what God was saying. That rather than being our, our, our souls, our hearts, how he made us to be, rather than being inherently flawed and falling short, mankind is actually the perfect design for God's plan. The perfect design. So you know how we, I think that we, and I'll expand on this more, but I think we can really have a totally different perspective on that. We think we are just... Even if we think God has called us and we believe we have a level of anointing, we feel like we're just missing it. We fell short that day. You know, we couldn't do that principle that other day. And we just see ourselves, I think, so often as being just low, to, just below the level of being able to do anything for God, to be a display of his glory, to be what we need to be to serve the purpose that we believe we're called to, to give him glory. I mean, there's a whole lot of stages of this. You know, there's people in the world that aren't even thinking about this. They're not even thinking about whether or not they're serving God. But even, you know, and you would think that those of us in this culture would maybe be a little further along, but I feel like we kind of do the same thing and we sell ourselves short because we enter into battling with our energy level more often than building. Tisa's, Tisa's talked about this before, and it's been a big highlight for, for us in this season that are you battling or are you building? And so I feel like we spend so much of our time and we think we're battling um, for our design to help God with our design, you know, that we're, we're fighting through this thing and we're fighting against that lie and we're down in the dirt and we don't mind wrestling around with it and we'll do it for a week or a month, whatever, because this will bring me into my original design and break me free to do God's will, Right. And I, he's wanting to give us a totally different perspective that will release that off of us. I mean, that, that's what I was experiencing this morning is that, I mean, I'm right here in this, that I will, I have had this perspective and it's just happening in layers, you know, that he'll remove it from me, that the harder it is, the more I try, you know, the more grit I put into it and the more tension it takes for me to do it, the harder it is, the more um, outcome I'll get, you know, like if, the, if it's the harder it is, the better I'll be, you know, the more stressed, 
That just means I'm working hard. You know, that just means we're doing something good. If I'm striving, then man, we're doing great things for God. You know, no, that's a lie. And so what we end up in that mentality battling instead of building his kingdom and his temple. So I want to, I wrote this word out and he wrote, he, he wrote, he uh, told me, uh, had something to say about it. I want to read this over us. So at this point I said, Papa, I believe you are saying today that our hearts are made in the honeycomb shape. So many of us have struggled against the designs of our heart. So many of us have struggled in a war of life seeming to be so against us, a war that says it's an uphill battle for us to be who you desire us to be. But I hear you saying that you've actually made us shaped in just the right way. That when surrendered in love to you, we will find that life will naturally create the most perfect vessel for your glory and plan. Papa, I know you're speaking. I just got to say, this is us right now, okay? This is taking you into my process. I'm like, I know you're saying something, but it's like the puzzle pieces have been scattered all over the table and I can't put it together yet, you know? But I know he's speaking, and so I want, I want you guys to participate with this with me. I know you're speaking. I know you're revealing. I know you're releasing secrets of your kingdom. I know you're releasing secrets of identity and function and purpose and just how intricately perfect your design is. You're speaking. You're releasing, and we are receiving. Yes, we are receiving. Can you all just say that with me? You're speaking. You're speaking, you're releasing, and we are receiving. I say this in confidence, not mere hope. I say with confidence, we are receiving your revelation. We are being shaped and molded by every word and notion released. We have positioned ourselves under your flow. We have pre-positioned ourselves to be in the flow of your outpouring, whether we understand or see with our natural ability or not, we are receiving your outpouring. We are stewards of more than we can see. We are stewards of more than we can see. We are stewards of more than we know. We are stewards of the more to come. We are positioned to be history makers, culture shapers. We are a tribe surrendered, your kingdom ready to be rendered. I love that line. I might have to write that up and put it on my wall or something. And Papa said, I am, I am, I am speaking, I am shaping, I am releasing. Today, I release you, hear this, I release you today in a brand new way to see your heart, the precious design I made, in truth. I've watched you struggle. I've watched you fight. I've watched you wrestle through many a night. And I've come to release you from the bondage of the fight. I've come to release you into the flow of my true design where your energy will be spent as I intended from the beginning. You see, there was no flaw in my plan or design. No weapon, excuse me, 
No weapon formed against you has prospered. Can you hear that? We like to say that. I've always looked at that as future, like, oh, you know, no weapon that's formed against me will prosper against me. That's been true for your past. That's, that's true in our past, too. No weapon formed against you has prospered despite all the messages your pain has sent. Despite the interpretation and diagnosis of man, you were perfectly designed and sent. The time of man being called flawed and fallen has come to an end. You have been my secret weapon all along. You have been the sleeper cell of humanity that I knew would arise when the time was right and I flipped on the lights. I'm releasing keys that unlock the mystery of your strength of design. I'm releasing the secrets of the honeycomb. Awesome. Okay, so let's go a little deeper. We're going to start hearing the secrets now. So I'm going to revisit that revisit that data I shared already about the nature of the honeycomb. Okay. I'm glad you like me. <laughs> so I want to highlight the part that said storing more honey in larger volume while spending less energy building a structure to contain it. So short version is that's what we're going for, right? He's saying, hey, I made you to actually be able to store a massive amount of honey, my presence, my glory, my spirit, while spending less energy building it. Less energy. This is about transferring us into a process where we spend less energy trying to, or building our own hearts. The container and the vessel for his glory. Our hearts are designed with capacity for more of his spirit to abide in and flow through while spending less energy building it. This process of mind renewal and heart refinement, because that's what we call it, right? Well, my mind's just being renewed. And that's why I'm battling for weeks with this truth I heard, you know. I mean, there, uh, we all know the truth in that, right? Our minds do need to be renewed and our hearts do need to be refined and all that. But he's saying the process isn't supposed to be so much of a war. So this process is not actually meant to require all of our energy and strength. It's not actually an uphill battle with little return for God. That's where I think we live. We feel like it's an uphill battle. I mean, I will dedicate my life to you, God. I will dedicate my life and I will spend every hour of every day battling with this soul of mine to give you, I hope, a little drop of glory by the end of my days. I mean, that's an exaggerated way, but I think we kind of have that, that outlook sometimes, you know, like I will give it all for you. I will sacrifice it all for you. And I just hope that maybe one drop of glory will come out for you, you know? <laughs> And he's like, no, 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 like you, that's not even true. That's not true. Our design, how he made us, how you were born is actually extremely efficient in serving our purpose. We were made to be efficient builders, not weary battlers. And so, of course, there's tons of scripture, but a couple, one I wanted to share is 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within 
so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's, not, not ours. Now, I wanted to share that because, like Tisa said, when we hear th- when God releases a new light on something, we can hear these verses in a new way, a new emphasis on a different part. And the footnote there was really good. It says, Paul uses figurative language to say that we are common clay jars, yet we possess the brilliant light of God's glory, Jesus Christ, and carry him as a treasure in our being. So again, I just like to partner that with this idea of picture your heart as the honeycomb. Um, So high compression strength. We are very strong. We are durable. We are not easily crushed. 2 Corinthians 4.8, though we experience every kind of pressure, though we are like the honeycomb hanging out in the wilderness with every form of atmospheric pressure and storm that passes by everything, we are not crushed. At times, we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. And again, footnote, the Aramaic can be translated, we are corrected but not condemned. This points to that thing I'm saying. We've got to get the difference between conviction and condemnation. We are not condemned when we feel pressure. When you have pressure in your life, there's no condemnation in that. That doesn't mean you're just a big mess up. That's not what's happening. Uh, Low density. Bees, or we, are not burdened with a heavy weight that we must accommodate for. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I want to read it in the voice because of some of the way it says this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Put my yoke upon your shoulders. It might appear heavy at first. Okay? The moment that you're feeling some pressure, that you're feeling a little heavy, it might appear heavy when this life event is happening. It might appear heavy at first but it's actually perfectly fitted to your curves. Perfectly fitted to your curves. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. When you are yoked to me, your weary souls will find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I love the passion too. It says that for all that I require of you, all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Think about this again in terms of the honeycomb filled with honey and sweetness and it's easy to bear. You don't have to toil. It's not heavy. It's a lightweight thing. Pleasant, easy to bear. Dissipate heat, able to withstand the heat in their environment and atmosphere. So let's look at Isaiah 43. In the Passion, one through two. Now this is what Yahweh says. Listen, Jacob, to the one who created you. Listen, one life, to the one who created you. The one who made the honeycomb. Listen to the one who created you. To the one who shaped who you are. Do not fear, for I, your kinsman redeemer, will rescue you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the deep, stormy sea, You can count on me to be there with you. When you pass through the raging rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through persecution like fiery flames, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you. Able to withstand the heat in the environment. Now, I'm I'm feeling the Holy Spirit emphasize this word dissipate. 
which I don't know if you know, if you know what that it doesn't just mean you'll hold up. Dissipate heat means that heat can go through you and it will pass through you. It will go. It won't stay in you. It won't stay in you. You won't melt from the inside out. Okay. It will go through you. Dissipate means you're able to have heat pass through you. And that's an important difference for us, I think. So moving on to, this is a really fun part, how the honeycomb is made. This was fascinating to me. So if honeycombs are like these perfect design, marble of nature, right? And the bee themselves creates it. And if you look at a honeycomb, don't they look perfect? They look measured out, precise hexagons over and over and over again. So how do these tiny little creatures create geometrically perfect hives? Are the bees just so perfectly mature and enlightened that they can consistently make such precise geometric shapes in their hives? How is it that they manage to create the perfect design for their hives while we seem to struggle against our humanity, wondering if we'll ever measure up to be used by God? So as it turns out, bees have a tiny brain. This reminds me of the sheep, you know, when we heard that they would just walk off a cliff and not even know it, and that we're like sheep. This, we're also like bees with a tiny brain. We, we're being compared to a bee with a tiny brain. The emphasis is on our heart design here, not our brain. Okay. <laughs> So they don't have a brain that's capable of intricate design or perfection. It turns out that they use their very nature as the building blocks for the perfect home and place of purpose. Who they are, okay? A beehive cell, each of those little cells, is created when the bee chews on wax, which is actually secreted from glands in its own body, and then make it, they make it moldable, and then they form it around their own body to create a cylindrical cell. They form it around their own shape, not a mold that they aspire to be. But the reality of who they are at the time. So the message here is, that's right, they use what is naturally produced from their being in their current imperfect state. And then they begin to create a structure around themselves still in their current imperfect state. Now each bee is different and not at all perfect or asymmetrical. So, and the result that as we read is a round cylinder of wax instead of a perfect hexagon we see in the honeycomb. Interesting, right? So they, they have these glands in their abdomen, wax is secreted, they warm it up and mold it, make it moldable, and they just, just say, let me just put this around me in my B shape. I'm just going to put this around me. We're going to start off with the cylinder. It's nowhere near that perfect hexagon that we see. This is so fascinating to me. Okay, so we're looking metaphorically at this, right? So the first, the B actually chews on and needs the wax that comes out of it, okay? So this speaks to us chewing on what God is saying to us 
about what we are producing in the present moment. The wax in this case is if we took the outcomes of our choices, the state of our relationships, the attitudes, emotions, just, you know, what you're experiencing from the, the fruit of your life. You could, we call it the fruit sometimes, right? Just take what's happening in your day, what you're, what you're feeling, what's coming out of our mindset, our perspective. We need to take that, ask him about it, and then he will give us truth to chew on. That's, my, that's what I hear him saying about what the wax is. That's the wax. So we then need to chew on it, meditate on it, ponder its meaning, hold it in our hands, feel it, and really take it personally. It was the emphasis. Think about that. I mean, if, you, if truth was a physical substance and you put it in your mouth, you just chewed, 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 chewed. We, we can tend to think, okay, I comprehend that in my tiny little bee mind. In my sheep mind, I comprehend it. We're good to go. I can go now. And then we walk off the cliff, right? <laughs> if we need to chew on it. It's not about our mind understanding a concept. It's about it being changing our heart. And, and we get a lot of revelation in this house. And so I'm telling you, this is a challenge here. I have to practice it. We have to be deliberate and intentional with this because there's so much that you could easily just go from one high to the next high of comprehending a new principle and not and, and skip the chewing process and then kneading it with your hands, like kneading dough. So we need to chew on it, meditate it, ponder its meaning, take it personally. We need to treat it like something we want to get all the flavor and nutrients out of. So Psalms 1, 1 through 2, what delight comes to those who follow God's ways? They won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. Their pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am, meditating day and night in his true revelation of light. Think about that in terms of what we just said about chewing on and kneading the wax. Bees also use heat. This is just to make this wax that came out of them moldable, right? Because it's just coming out in one form, and they've got to go through this process to make it moldable so they can put it around them. They generate this heat, this is fascinating, by creating vibrations with their flying muscles, which they've temporarily decoupled or disengaged from its, their wings. I mean... I don't, I wish people could do that sometimes, you know, physically in our physical man, like just use this muscle for something else. But they actually have the muscles that help them move their wings to fly. They disengage from that and then still activate the muscle so that, that over and over and over. So it creates a vibration within their own body. So they're doing all expending all the energy of flying, but they're not going anywhere. They're just sitting there vibrating and that creates heat. And the heat makes that wax then moldable. So I felt like this represented the times we need to disengage our muscles, the muscles of the strength and power we have for producing, you know, to make things happen, to go and do the, the functioning. We need to disengage those muscles and spend that energy on intimacy with God instead. It's the private time with him, the energy and effort we put into our one-on-one -on -one relationship with him 
that creates the heat needed to shape us and the culture around us. It's essential that we decouple our strength and power from our function in the kingdom in order to create the culture of the kingdom. And so just like I, when I use myself as an example, all that, that energy I'm using for striving and getting in, you know, stay focused, stay tense, all that self-talk and everything, if I would use that same amount of energy and that same, that same amount of energy that it takes me and, and put that towards just loving on him, being loved by him, just intimacy with him, that would actually be a lot healthier process. And so we have to decouple our wings. And so I felt like this was extremely important because we, we forget this a lot because we love to be doers, you know. But the culture of the kingdom of God, the culture starts in our own hearts, you know, not the world around us. We look at the culture of the world a lot and we talk about what the culture is and in all sorts of ways, right? I mean, fashion, just all sorts of ways. And we want to change the culture and we get motivated, I think, to just run out the door and go and do, go and do, go and talk to somebody, go share a word, go do this, go, you know, prophesy, whatever we need to do. But, and we, and we talk about this a lot, this message in this house, but the culture of God, God actually starts in our own hearts, not the world around us. And culture in the world is what is created by the people in it when that, when we are reflecting what's in our hearts individually on a larger scale. So we have a culture in here, like Tisa described, that light is coming down, is refracted out through our hearts, bent out through our hearts according to what we believe. And that fills the room with this light. That creates the culture of this community that we have. And it's the same thing outside of these walls. And so we can't just run out the door and try to go be doers in the world and hope that it changes the culture unless we've cultivated a culture in our own heart because that's the only thing that's really going to change it. Right. So we can't neglect the culture of our own hearts in the name of fulfilling our purpose of bringing heaven to earth. This is another great line. Heaven must exist within us in order for it to be distributed around us. Must exist within us. So fascinating. Next step for the bee, right? The bee has this warm moldable wax now. And it begins to form the thin walls of the cell around themselves, somewhat resembling a cocoon. They build the new honeycomb cell around their own body. Uh, This graphic, I don't know if we have a slide of that little graphic, but on your paper there you see. Tisa happened to find this great little paintbrush, you know, bee trying to paint itself yellow. And that's kind of what they're doing. They're painting the wax. They're putting the wax all around them. So we af- this represents to me after we've received truth on what, what's coming out of us, right? After we've chewed on that truth, we've felt it in our hands, we've warmed it through personal intimacy with God, we need to be plastering that truth all over us. Just cover yourself with it. Paint it all over you. Surround yourself with it. We need to be forming a wall. Remember we talked about building a wall and what, if you have a temple without a wall, then your temple is at risk. It's going to be hit. Your temple is going to be hit if you don't have the wall surrounding it. So 
think of that. You, you take this truth that has gone through this incredible process and you surround yourself with it, um, forming a wall of truth that should stand as a strong protector over your temple. And so it's that truth molded around us that protects us against anything coming in to your temple that contradicts it. So you get, you, you've processed this truth to such a degree that when an, something that contradicts truth, that's a lie, comes up, you know it. You're personally intimate with that truth now, and you've got it surrounding you on all sides. And so you'll know, and you'll be protected when a lie comes in that way. So the, I wrote, protect the revelations of Jesus because they are meant to protect you. That's what it's, they're meant to protect you. So it's now, the bee has now surrounded itself with this wax, right? And all of it's according to whatever its body looked like for that bee. Now get this, satisfied with its work, the bee leaves the cell to join the other bees. It has completed its role in forming the honeycomb. But didn't we say that the result of their process was just an imperfect round-ish? It's not even perfectly round. Like, it's just round-ish cylinder. It's a round-ish. Emphasis on ish. That's a far cry from this structurally perfect hexagon, right? The precise, beautifully patterned honeycomb is supposed to be symbolic of our own hearts, perfectly aligned with God. But doesn't this round-ishness sound a little bit more like how we tend to see ourselves? And don't we tend to see ourselves as a little bit misshapen, distorted at best? You know, we're, we're, I'm trying to be a circle. I'm trying to be round. It's the best I can do. I'm round-ish. I'm round-ish. <laughs> so how is it that the bee is so satisfied to just leave? It leaves the cell and it goes out and about in its community. How is it? Did that happen? Now we're getting deep here. The hexagonal shape in the bee hive only forms after the bee leaves the hollow cylinder it has formed. When the bee steps out into the community, the wax of the home it's been shaping and molding around itself begins to cool. As the wax cools, naturally occurring surface tension begins to rebalance, tightening the walls of the cylinder into a hexagon shape. In other words, it just happens. It just happens. Yeah, it just happens. So that's right. The perfectly shaped design begins to take shape when we step out of our personally cultivated garden of quiet time, right? And we enter the world around us. We are still imperfect. We are still oddly shaped in ways. But we've done all we're called to do by chewing on and molding truth and intimacy. Chewing on and molding truth and intimacy around the reality, just who we are that day. We don't have to be something different. It's who we are that day. If you've done this process, then you've done enough. It doesn't matter if you're still roundish when you leave your home that day. You can be roundish. If you've done this process, you're good. It's enough. 
It's enough. There's no more, there's no battling needed if you've done this process. There's no more battling needed. Even though you're still roundish. The perfect design in alignment of our hearts with God takes shape when we step out and encounter the strains and struggles of life. Remember, it was the surface tension, surface tension that occurs in nature that formed the hexagon. It's the tensions of life, the things that pull on us, relationships, jobs, circumstances, that pull us into alignment with him in our perfect design. I mean, this, this imagery is so powerful to me. I mean, if you would just picture what we're talking about with the bee and the, this little waxy, roundish, waxy hole by nature, if, you, if we just surrendered and it gets pulled into that perfect design every time, cell after cell after cell after cell in the, hexagon, in the honeycomb has, happens over and over. It'd be so interesting to know how many of those there are in a honeycomb on average. Millions, I'm sure, right? Every time they get pulled into, just naturally pulled, pulled, not pushed, not achieved, not like by battling, climbing up a ladder. It just gets pulled into the perfect design. Pulled. Ah. I wrote that rarely in the world we live in on a day-to-day basis um, is the the world we live in on a day-to-day basis free of tension. But more often than not, we tend to despise the tension. We see it as an enemy to our peace and our purpose, too. I will so do that. I'll be like, this thing is getting in the way of me doing my purpose. And that's why I'm so frustrated, Tisa, because these in-ears aren't working right, and that is getting me in the way of me worshiping. And that ought not be. And so I'm mad at the tension of that feeling, of that dilemma. Yet, as it turns out, it's the very thing. (laughs) Yeah. mm -hmm. Just calling it like it is, being vulnerable up here. It's the very thing that we've cried out for when we asked him to mold and make us into his original design for us. That tension is the very thing, and better said, his intended thing, to make us become the honeycomb housing of great capacity for his glory and his spirit right it's the thing it's the thing and so of course we have a great verse we all know this but maybe we can see it in a new light that we view our slight short-lived troubles in the light of eternity we see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us the eternal weighty glory far beyond all comparison It's in the Bible. It's in the word. And, you know, and this is one of those things, like I said, that it's a principal truth. I knew that. I've read this before. We've talked about it. It's been preached on. But I did not feel it. I knew I was supposed to be okay with it, but I did not feel okay with it. I I didn't feel like my short-lived troubles were that great. I still had this perspective. And that's these subtle perspectives that we have. Like she talked about with the augmented reality. You've got goggles on in some places that even though you're reading the word, even though you're hearing the message, it's perceived through this augmented reality that has skewed the truth. You're like, yeah, I know those short-lived troubles are supposed to be, you know, um, a substance that produces weighty glory. 
I mean, it says it. It's a substance that produces weighty glory. But when I leave in my augmented reality, you know, I'm like, well, no, that's just in my way. You know, get behind me, Satan. That's just in my way. So we were off there. We're off there. And we end up battling against the thing that's building us. We end up battling against the very thing that's answering our prayers. And so I, I had this thought that maybe it was time for us to consider that this was the only way we were going to be shaped into our original design. Right? Because I'm trying to, I'm receiving it too. I'm, not, I'm working on receiving it. Okay? Because it's, well, I mean, because I caught myself. I was like, okay, fine, fine. You can use that tension to shape me, but I still don't have to love it. And I don't, but then I'm still like, I'm going to run hard after being who you made me to be, God, but I don't like that method. I was still thinking it'll come another way. It'll just, it's just a season. It's just an occasional thing. You can paint me with that brush sometimes, but I'm going to really cherish this other time where I get shaped this way because I like it. So what if we shifted and said, it's the only way. What if that's the only way you're going to be the hexagon? Then in that moment when you're like, oh, you know, you're so frustrated by it or whatever your reaction is. What if you could just say, okay, okay, pull me, just pull me, just pull me. I want to be the hexagon. Pull me. Just go ahead. Pull me. That would be a game changer for us, right? Oh, perhaps we would gladly surrender to the pulling, knowing the beauty of what we're being shaped into. I mean, when I looked at this, when I look at this honeycomb and the hexagons and you really look closely at it, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a marvel. Like I said, mankind, believers and non-believers marvel at this creation of God. It is amazing. It is beautiful. And that's what we're getting pulled into. If we can recognize that's what's on the other side of the tension, that's what the tension will produce in us, then maybe we would more gladly surrender to it and say, it's worth it, you know, because I want to picture that in my mind. Say, it's worth it. Pull me into your shape. Pull me into alignment with you. So there's more. There's some more crazy, amazing stuff. And other characteristics of the honeycomb as I looked into this. So it's the hexagon shape of the cell developed by surface tension. That is what makes the honeycomb one of the most efficient, durable structures in the world. Okay, it's the hexagons. We're going to look a little closer at that. So we're going to look at the topic of 120 degrees. Now it turns out that surface tension pulls on those waxy cylinders until it achieves 120 degree angles with all of its neighboring waxy cylinders. 120 degrees exactly. Okay? The pulling does not stop until... The 120 degree angles are achieved with all of its surrounding hexagons. And once achieved, it makes a hexagon. That's what the hexagon is formed by that. At 120 degree angles, all of the involved honeycomb cells have balanced surface tension. Nature is always shifting to reach 
this balance of tension. In nature, there's so many examples of this that it will shift and naturally, just like for the bee. It tries to, it is constantly in nature trying to restore balance of surface tension. And so the natural way that God made the world pulls the, the, that waxy cylinder into the perfect hexagon. It's amazing. And so it, it's because it's trying to balance the tension. That's what drives it. So the drive towards the balance happens without any input or influence of the bee. In other words, the bee just creates the substance of this waxy cylinder all around it after the process we talked about in a natural course of shifting to balance tension begins. By default, the hexagons of the honeycomb are formed in this process, creating the mechanically stable structure with perfect capacity for its purpose. Perfect. It becomes perfect through this process that occurs naturally. And so just to illuminate maybe just a little bit more from a slightly science perspective, you know, um, when something, the reason that nature does this is because it's, um, it's not mechanically stable when it's out of balance. In other words, something's already leaning. If I'm already leaning over this way and you come up and touch me, I'm more likely to fall because I'm already leaning this way. But if I'm balanced and I'm upright here, you could come and push me and I'd probably just be like, what's that? You know, like I'm, I'm balanced. You, you can see that. So a structure, a chemical compound, things in nature are not stable and not mechanically sound until that tension is stabilized. So it, it's a big deal because it, it, it is what makes things volatile or involatile with chemicals. Like if you combine certain things at a certain ratio, then that thing won't explode. But if you leave it at an unbalanced ratio, it's volatile. It could light up and catch on fire. So, I mean, this is happening in everything around us. So the, the balance of tension is extremely important. It, it, are you following me? It, it translates to whether or not you are uh, able to function, able to be, you know, a chair will fall over with only three legs. It's not balanced, right? I mean, you can see it. So it's extremely important. But let's look at the metaphorical message. All the cells in this honeycomb community, by nature, want to achieve 120 degree angles with its neighbors. Or you could say that the hearts of God's children naturally want to achieve 120 degree angles with each other. In the metaphor, right? And by shifting to this angle, they automatically become the perfect six-sided shape that we described above, being perfect for its purpose. So in our community, we have tension with each other. That tension is just pulling you into that perfect 120-degree angle. It's part of what's forming you into the perfect hexagon of your design. And, and we will always be shifting to restore that balance. It's not a one-and-done thing. So you may be think you're golden and everybody else needs to adjust. Nope. Everybody's adjusting. Everybody's shifting. The leader of the house, she's shifting. Everybody's shifting. Everybody's shifting constantly to go to restore and come back to this 120 degree angle. You can run with that metaphor so far, right? It is literally what makes that, that structure um, gives it its compression strength. Remember we talked about it's not easily crushed. 
when we are out of balance with each other, when we, we aren't conforming, if we're resisting um, shifting the balance with our neighbor, if you're resisting that, you are, we are adding to the culture of, as a whole of being um, more easily crushed, you know. So, like I said, you can run with that a lot. Maybe we'll run with that some more later. But, but it made me think, where did this 120 come from? Why is it 120? This was so cool to me. It turns out that this concept in nature is easily seen when observing soap bubbles. So when two spherical bubbles meet, they join at a flat wall. So just picture two, you know, they come together. You've seen that probably before. Um, where did I, okay. When a third bubble is added, two additional walls form so that one wall separates each pair of bubbles and the three walls quickly rearrange themselves into that Y shape with three equal 120 degree angles. I think you see that in the picture, right? Because all three is balanced. So basically we're saying it takes a party of three, not two, not one, but three, creates the 120 degree angle. This is symbolic to me of the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the party of three, displays the first 120 degree angle. You don't see this with two bubbles coming together. The first time you see this is when three cells come together. So a party of three, party of three is the first to display the 120 degree angle. So I want to propose that the Godhead was the first to display the perfect 120 degree angle. It's the first perfect 120 degree angle. So as you can see in the picture, that when you add the fourth, fifth, and sixth bubble, it's just adding to that. It's what she said, the other three parts, your spirit, your soul, and your body, you add the other three, it forms a hexagon naturally. That's, that's it. That's how the... So it would make sense then that each of us humans would naturally continually shift to achieve 120 degree, degree angles with those in our community. The naturally occurring tension pulls us in each into the position that most reflects the Godhead. There's the goal. I love that. We will most reflect the Godhead when we surrender to the tension between us. And we do this process. It's all about displaying him, right? Wouldn't it? Isn't that crazy that just in our own hearts, even we know this, like we're, we have a drive to this, like we may buck it sometimes, but we want to achieve that balance with each other. And it's because it's the Godhead was the perfect model. He said, you know, we were made in his image. I mean, it's just all throughout scripture to be like him. And so isn't that cool that it's all symbolic of the Godhead and becoming that perfect 120 degrees like they are with each other. Okay, so we're going to pause here before we move on to um, the rest of this revelation and take what, five, a five-minute break. So we'll see you back in five minutes. Okay, so in the break, Aaron just dropped this on me and said that there were 120 disciples, right, in the upper room when the Spirit fell. 120. Uh, I got the, the goosebumps all over when I heard that. <clears throat> There's so much more on this, I know, that to be studied out. You know, this is just as far as I've gotten so far, but there's more that we will all uncover and then share with each other. 
Okay, so um, the first thing, because I was like, okay, what's up with this 120, right? 120 degrees. <clears throat> and so the first thing that I heard the Holy Spirit say was to go to Psalms 120. So <clears throat> get this. I get to Psalms 120, and you remember how I started off this encounter, right? Psalms 120, in the Passion, you know how a lot of the translations will put a little chapter title, subtitle, they summarize kind of. The first, the chapter 120 in Psalms in the Passion, that little subtitle is, God helped me. Yes, he did. Thank you. Thank you. And then... In the, in the Psalms, this psalm is called a song of the stairway. A song of the stairway. And it starts off saying, I was desperate for you to help me in my struggles. And you did. You did. Now, the rest of the psalm is incredible. But we can't cover all of that today. But this incredible, this is just so incredible. I mean, how many times can I say incredible right now? Let's just say it a bunch. Okay, the footnote here says that Psalms 120 through 134 all begin with these words, a song to take you higher, or a song of ascent, or a song of the stairway. It is likely that these 15 songs were sung on the 15 steps that would take the worshiper into the temple. You're remembering the escalator earlier, right? And the ascending steps with the popcorn on them and everything in the stadium. On each step, they would stop to worship and sing the corresponding psalm as they went up higher into the worship of God. Others believe that they were songs that were sung as David brought the ark of glory to Jerusalem back to the temple. They are also known as the songs of degrees. Songs of degrees. I'm looking this up because of 120 degrees. Yeah, songs of degrees. Songs of degrees. So we've got the escalator, song of ascent, 120 degree angles, song of degrees. Clearly the Holy Spirit's on this, right? Clearly. Now, I, um, so I studied this out a little bit to some extent, and um, some other people think that there's some different opinions about what these songs were originally sung, but they're clear that there were, there's this set of songs that were a song to take you higher. And, you know, um, the Israelites back in the day, you know, were supposed to come to the temple in Jerusalem for certain feasts, a certain number of times of year, and so they had to travel and so some people said that they, as they traveled, they would sing these songs, and they were songs that they went to go up into worship, right? So the secrets of the honeycomb point to a perfect design and natural process that is occurring in our everyday lives that is all a part of us being taken up higher. So you put this, put, I'm trying to put it all together that this tension in life this movement I'm feeling under my feet, this whole just experience that I've shared with you is all a process of taking us up higher into closer communion with him, deeper into worship, 
deeper into our purposes. So it's all about taking us up higher. The tension takes us up higher. So these aren't processes for us to despise or fight against. They are the thing that takes us higher. They are the stairway that takes us into higher realms of worship, deeper communion with the presence of God. They are what reunites his presence with the innermost parts of our temple. Now, I saw that, you know, it's really powerful to me. The story of David, you know, was so passionate about wanting to get the 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 Ark of the Covenant and restore it and place it back in the temple. And we've, we've had a few messages on that. And I, it, it's really struck me a few different times in Scripture, the Passion Translation points to that moment. But there had not been, the, the presence of God had not been in the temple of Jerusalem. I'm trying to think how to say this. Until, again, until Jesus um, was brought to the temple to be dedicated. I mean, there's just so much significance of this, what I'm saying. The, the, the significance of the presence of God being reunited with the temple is huge. Otherwise, you're doing worship without the presence. You know, you're, 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 you're separated, either whether it's from the veil or from, you know, being dislocated in our, which was another word we had last year. But there's, there's a significance to the, t- the presence of God being restored to the innermost part of the temple. And I would say that's what I experience sometimes when we get outside of this process in our own management. It pulls me further and further away from the presence. So the most innermost part of my temple gets further and further away from the presence. The separation begins. And that is the source of where that's why I'm not at peace. That's why I'm all tormented. That's why I'm struggling or not sleeping or whatever it is. And so the significance of restoring the presence to the temple, the innermost parts of our temple is huge. And so what is this all saying? It's saying that this journey of going up higher through the tension of life is what restores us right? It's all, again, it, it forms us into the 120 degree angles. So I, to, to make that maybe illustrate a little bit better, I read through all, all of the Psalms, 120 through 134, and I couldn't find a real central theme. You know, they were all different and I couldn't really figure it out. And I finally realized that it's life. It's, it's, it's just 15 songs about what the journey of life looks like. Yeah, it was just, you know, and it, so I thought just to illustrate that without having to read them all, um, the subtitles that I talked about, this is the order that they go in. God helped me. God protects us. Jerusalem, a prayer for mercy, victory, God's surrounding presence, restored God and his gifts, the blessings of the Lord, persecuted but not defeated. Out of the depths, my heart is meek. David's dynasty, unity, the night watch. It's just life. It's just life. Like life isn't all the moments of victory. It's also the moments when my heart is meek. You know, my when we are saying, help me, God help me. And we're saying, thank you. And you know, this one, um, the one titled Restored, it starts off with saying, you restored me. You did this. You do this. So do it again. Restor- 
he'll do it again. And it just, it helps me personally because I can kind of think somehow in my mind, my little tiny bee mind, you know, that, that it's all going to be all good the higher you get, you know. But if, if we look at this as this process of tension continuously pulling us more and more and restoring us and shifting us into the 120 degree angle, like him, then there, there are going to be things on the surface that look like victory, and there's going to be things on the, sur on the surface that look like um, failure or need or lack or desperation or, you know, surrounded and persecuted. And so it's all part of life. And so it, again, to me, points to the idea that this ascension, these are all called songs of ascent. So all of those moments are actually taking us higher. The mountaintop moments, the valley moments are actually all taking us higher. And we will actually be taking, uh, going higher into our purpose if we do this process with him, if we surrender in those moments instead of battling. Because another cool thing, when Tisa and I were talking, we were reminding of the verse that, you know, arise and shine, rise up and build. I mean, that this is the purpose. We're supposed to arise for a purpose. You know, we're supposed to arise and build. If we fight the process of the rising, we will just be battling in the process of rising instead of, of, never, of getting to the point of shining the light, of building the temple. And so I thought that was, that was all really cool. And 120 degrees, song of degrees. And, it, and again, it just also tells me that, man, the Holy Spirit wants us to see this. I mean, that just like I said, Aaron just dropped the significance of 120 in another way. And so the Holy Spirit is saying this 15 chapters, pinging so many different things about my encounter and my vision. So he's really, really on this and wants us to receive this from him today. So another um, fun fact from looking at the hexagon is this topic of a cradle. Hexagons and beehives aren't actually just for honey storage. Each cell is also a potential cradle and food supply for larvae to develop. So that little hexagon, a little larva gets dropped in there and it grows into another bee. It's actually a cradle. All of that happens in the same place. The same place that was formed out of the roundish waxiness of that bee's body became a perfect hexagon, which then forms as, acts as a cradle in addition to honey storage. And so a cradle speaks of a place where new life can be birthed and nurtured and developed in safety. Now that speaks of a few things to me. Obviously our lives are meant to be a cradle to give new life to other people, right? Where other people can be birthed in our hexagon and nurtured into safety and um, into their purpose, but it also speaks to the fact that the place of growth and development in our own hearts, in our own lives, becomes the perfect housing and structure for his spirit to abide in and flow through. The very place where you are nurtured and developed and you are growing, in other words, you're roundish, you're just in process, is the place that develops the housing for the honey. It's the place that, it's the one and the same. They're not separate. So you don't go over here and get, get refined and get your mind renewed. And then you come over here and, and be a you know, container for him of his glory. It's one and the same. So it just reinforces that idea that we're not meant to 
try to hurry up and get this done so that we can go over here and do that. It's all happening. And we can, we can cherish the process more because that's actually the container. In our moments of growth and development, that's the container for the honey. That's the container for his spirit. He designed our process of growth and development to be the very thing that would carry the volume of his spirit. The volume of his spirit was relating to anointing. So we can't despise the process that we so often see as being a hindrance to our purpose when it is the very thing that will house the presence of our purpose. Our humanity's need for development was part of the plan, not an unfortunate detour. You're not on a detour. That's part of the plan. You're on the main road. All right, so we have a little bit more here. Let's just look at if we're going to talk about um, capacity for storage, right, for holding the, the honey. The, the, why not triangles or squares instead of hexagons in a honeycomb. Like, why is God's designed that way? Well, it turns out if you want to pack cells together as efficiently as possible, like the honeycomb, you have three choices, a triangle or square or a hexagon. Triangles and squares, as you can see in that image, they can pack together nicely, but they don't actually have as much capacity as area per perimeter. So they're not as efficient. They actually, bees would spend more time building for a less of a payoff of ability to store honey. So the hexagon wins out because it has the least amount of perimeter. It requires the least amount of wax to hold the most capacity. So the prophetic message I heard on this was that God believed that a six-sided shape, remember, representing representing mankind, was actually more efficient and better suited than a three-sided shape or a four-sided shape. Better suited. In other words, what's the three? Three is Godhead, right? It's the triune God. So over and above the option of fulfilling their dream alone as just the Godhead, they said, no, we're not going to use a three-sided shape. We're not going to be just the Godhead. And they actually restrained their number four, okay, the four-sided shape, creativity. Number four represents creativity. They restrained their own creative force, just the power of pure creativity, and chose a six-sided shape, mankind, for their purpose instead. I mean, we've got to get the impact of that, that God actually said, no, I mean, think about it. It's hard for me to even say this, but God actually said, no, you know what? We're not suited for this like they are. Let's make them like us, but in their, I mean, let's do this other plan. They will fulfill the purpose for what we see as our goal on earth. You know, maybe we don't even, under, can't wrap our minds around that because we don't fully understand his goal. But something made him said, I'm going to choose people. People. I'm going to choose the hexagon honeycomb shape to do this thing when we could do it ourselves. But they chose us for a reason. So they said, we're more efficient. You know what? We're more efficient and we're better suited. So over and above their own dream, they chose us. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to, I just have to say it again. 
try to hear this. God says you are more efficient at doing this pur- his purpose on earth of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth than they are themselves. I just know he wants me to say that. Okay. <laughs> I'm having a hard time even saying it myself. But he's saying you're more efficient. You're more efficient. You're better suited for it. Why? What does God see in us to say that we are the better ones to do that? You know, that's rough language, maybe. Maybe that sounds sacrilegious or something, but, you know, he's got a message in it. We are better suited as a bunch of hexagons than than just the Godhead, just the three bubbles. Okay, so this next part might be my favorite part. What about a circle? Okay, what about a circle? Why didn't we do make honeycombs out of circular cells instead of hexagons? If the ultimate goal is for maximum honey capacity, why not use a circle? Because it actually turns out that a circle has more capacity for storage than a hexagon per perimeter. So hands down, per perimeter, circles can hold more than hexagons. A circular cell can hold more more honey than a hexagon. So why did he choose that? even in that design. The problem comes in is that even though a circle can hold a greater quantity than a hexagon, when they are packed together with other circles, it leaves gaps. Gaps. It leaves gaps. You see this picture? Look at the white space. There's gaps. So no matter how much honey is in there, there's gaps. First of all, that makes it less stable, remember, because it's not as stable, the angles aren't there. And it creates less efficient use of the space, so they would actually have a heavier honeycomb that took longer to build and was less durable, even though it could hold more. And so I felt like one little thing you was saying there is that, sure, we could if he had designed us as circles, we could hold more of his spirit, but it'd actually be harder on us, and we wouldn't have as much endurance to run the race. We wouldn't really be suited for this. Now, I have a, like a million different takeoffs, I mean like offshoots of this metaphor, but I'm going to try to stay focused. But so many things. Still, though, still, think about this in terms of this metaphor and for God's purpose. If God is saying that the hexagon and the honeycomb represents us and our ability to carry his spirit and glory— wouldn't more always still be better in the long run? Like, if that's the goal, wouldn't he just say, you know, well, the more you as an individual can hold of my spirit and the more glory, wouldn't that still always be better, even if it was just slightly harder on us? Let's say we only lived to be 50 years instead of 100 years old, you know? Still, if we had could carry more per person, wouldn't that be better? I mean, you can see the logic in it, right? The argument for it. Wouldn't there still be more of him distributed if we could each hold a little more, carry a little more of him? Well, we're forgetting about Habakkuk 2.14, about covering the earth with the knowledge of how much we know him. If the goal is to cover the earth, God would need something other than a circle because circles cannot completely cover a surface. There will always be gaps. If we were the highest capacity as a circle, the most filled with his spirit, 
all in unity, and we cover the whole planet, 10% of the planet would still be not covered with his glory because you can't be together. You can't be packed together. There would always be gaps. His design of us as hexagons is actually the perfect design, allowing us to carry his spirit and glory in great capacity with the lowest possible weight and fit together as one body that can truly cover the earth with no gaps. No gaps. Just even before we even move on from that, just think about that. It's not, we can look at life like this so much, like, oh gosh, we can just see ourselves like, God, wouldn't it be easier if you just did it that way? Like, why are we going through this process? Couldn't you just do it that way? You know, can't we just see these different angles and his design in the big picture is always perfect. So he protected us. He didn't design us as circles where we would be less stable and easier crushed, more easily crushed, and it'd be heavier, but satisfy his need. He said, no, I've got a way to do both. I've got a way to make it perfectly doable for you, to make you strong, durable, able to hold plenty of my glory and meet my purpose of covering the earth. He always has a way to meet our needs and his at the same time. He always has a way to meet our needs and his at the same time. They do not have to contradict each other. So another angle on this is I wanted to say this is why God didn't create us independently fully representative of Christ. This is why we need each other. We can only truly cover the earth when we come together, allowing ourselves to be pulled into the perfect 120 degree angles that make us fit together like hexagons in a honeycomb with no empty of glory space between us. And that made me think, what if there's another angle on that verse about no needs among us? What if there was no need for God? What if God had no needs among us? Instead of it being our needs, what if it was God's needs? And Papa's need is for his glory to cover the earth. And he said, when you come together, like in the Acts 4 in church, there's no need, not my need or your need, when you come together. There is no lack of glory. What if we say that? There's no lack. I don't want there to be any lack of glory between us. I mean, I hope, Holy Spirit, help me remember this next time I'm in an argument with somebody. I'm just going to say, I don't want there to be any lack of glory between us. Let there be no lack of glory between us. If we each independently fully represented Christ, even when we came together as a bunch of little Jesus circles, there would still be gaps and we would be unable to cover the earth with his glory. This is, speaks to, again, I just want to make sure you're getting this angle to why we are parts of the body of Christ. We aren't fully Jesus alone. Even if, like I said, even if I was, if a circle represented Jesus in his entirety and he just made a bunch of 100% perfect Jesus is all over. We still wouldn't be able to cover the earth. That's why we have to be members of a body. We have to fit together. We're not supposed to be lone saviors. And this led me down the road of thinking about this model in our culture and in the world probably for a long time about the holy man. You know how in 
in religion, there's just like the one holy guy, there's the one prophet, there's the one pastor, whatever, and everybody else is supposed to just support them and just, you know, and then just sit there. And this is led, contributed to the fact that the body of Christ not doing its purpose, you're not doing it, because everybody thought, well, that guy's going to do it. And we'll just make him bigger. We'll just compile all of our resources together and give them plenty of money so that they can have a bigger crowd and a bigger building and a bigger reach and their glory, their ability to hold glory will get out there further. I mean, can you see the the logic in it? The logic in it. But that is the same logic as using a circle instead of a hexagon. No matter how glorious, how anointed somebody is on this earth, they will never, ever, ever be able to cover the earth with the glory of how they know him without us. The earth will still be left with gaps. God's glory will still be lacking in areas if we don't all be the most full hexagon that we can and come together. And so it just shows this. It has. There's so much we can do with this picture of why it's so important for us to go through this process of being pulled into our design to be pulled together in unity to operate this way because it is ultimately connected to his goal. And so in conclusion, I wrote that independent living, independent from him, independent from each other, prevents our circular lives from being pulled into the necessary shape needed to fulfill our purpose for the kingdom of God. If we remain circles, our lives are mechanically unstable, they are easily crushed and are misshapen by the forces around us. Any capacity of his spirit that we manage to carry, any amount of his glory that we are blessed with as a circle is only hoarded for ourselves and is robbed of the destiny it was meant for because we cannot truly connect with the rest of the body of Christ as a circle. And such major implications. The tension, what we do in the tension has such major implications. We must be capable of being packed together to represent the body of Christ in his fullness in order to completely and adequately cover the earth with his glory. We must begin to see the tension in our lives, the pulling on our waxy walls as an ascension and an upgrade an upgrade to coming closer to our original, beautiful, perfect, chosen design. We must begin to believe that tension is not a call to battle, but an escalator into efficiency for the purpose of building. It is not a call to battle, just if that's the one thing you get. Tension in your life is not a call to battle. It is an escalator into efficiency for the purpose of building. We must begin to truly believe that we are not flawed, misshapen, or fallen, but perfectly designed for a life lived for his glory. So I'm going to pray over us real quick before I hand it back over to Tisa. So, Papa, I just thank you for your revelation. I thank you for the marvel of the way that you made the world and that you made us and that you speak to us and that you 
uncover these things to us that just light a fire under us. So I, I thank you that we are the little buds that Tisa had in her dream. We are each little individually that thing that's meant to be lit on fire by these revelations so that we can expand and go and, and shoot out and shine bright, beautiful light around the world. And so I thank you for this revelation. I thank you for the way that it's impacting hearts and minds and people today and in the days to come. I thank you for the way this revelation is going to continue to unfold. I thank you for the way that each individual person is going to have their own personal, suited, tailor-made way of um, encountering this with you and of expanding it with you. And so I speak a blessing over the word, a blessing over the hearts and the minds. And we say yes to you, Papa, in a brand new way. We just say today that you have our pre-yes for the pulling. We have our, pre you have our pre-yes for the pulling into your perfect design. So Holy Spirit, come, continue to come and light us on fire in all the ways that are needed so that we can expand and open up into that beautiful hexagon of your design. Pull us into that beautiful design. And I just thank you. I thank you. I thank you for the way you speak to us. It is so much fun. I thank you that you made your burden light and your yoke easy. And I say that this is a year that we will walk in that design. We will be who you said we are. We will live in a way that is worthy of and reflecting of this truth today that you have revealed about our design. We will truly believe that the way you made us is perfect. It is perfect perfect and that you are more than able to shape us into the perfect design and container for your glory and that it can happen with ease and that it can be filled with honey with sweetness with delight and that every word in your scripture will be lived out by us this year in terms in regards to this that we will see your yoke as easy and your burden as light we will see the process of strains and struggles and pulling as being something glorious that is filled with promise and filled with, with a, the ability to reflect, ref, refract and reflect your light in new ways. So we just thank you, thank you, thank you. We give you all the glory and honor. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So good. mind-blowing right yeah. remember a bunch of packages just got delivered you don't have to figure that all out just yet okay but it was good wasn't it so um, we have just two more smaller things that we're going to talk about um the next one Chidi's going to come present to us we um if you remember back i don't remember it was many months ago but cc had had a dream about us having a healing service on tuesday nights and so in February, we're going to start that on the first Tuesday nights of the month. We're going to open up and we're going to be training people to uh, bring healing and have healing rooms in the house of healing. And um, because of that, it um, Pam actually has this picture that Aubrey drew um, painted. It's a big canvas. It's a huge picture. And I took it and reduce it down and then I'll, uh, uh, Tessa uh, put some words on it that Shudi had written out. And so I wanted Shudi to come present her portion of our word of the year about the face of the father. Wow. 
my brains are all over right there. My bee brain is all over right there. <laughs> I love that. My bee brain. Oh, there's just so much. It's incredibly rich. Um, but yes, wow. You just can't, you just can't write this stuff out. So what I had actually that I was going to read today for this portion of declaring over us that 2023, we will be a house of healing, the face of the father is actually pulled from John six. And the last few weeks I've been reading a lot in John six, which six is the representation of man. And if you read throughout all of John six, Jesus, the entire time is just laying into, especially the religious people and the Pharisees about that the son can do nothing apart from the father. Almost every chapter I've been reading so far is speaking to that Jesus is revealing his total dependency on the father. Oh, it's just, and you know, he, he is the son of God, but he's the son of man. And so I just can't keep emphasizing enough with the girls that this is the year for man to collaborate with God and to bring heaven to earth in a really profound way. But I know it is going to come through where God is going to touch and heal hearts this year in a really amazing, sweet way. So I encourage you to read all of John 6. But the part that I was just getting laid out over that is at the end of chapter 6, it's John 6, 44. And Jesus says, the only way people come to me is by the Father who sent me. He pulls on their hearts to embrace me. And those who are drawn to me, I will certainly raise them up in the last day. And in the footnote, pull says the Greek word is to drag or pull by force. (laughs) The name Moses means pulled from the Nile. The Aramaic is to ransom or to be saved. I mean, wow, right? And so even thinking about that this year we're launching into healing rooms during our time of worship. You know, it's actually Melissa Helser who I first heard speak on this, that worship and music also carries this beautiful tension. We're just like how an instrument has to have tension to be in tune to a key. Us as worshipers are learning how to worship in the divine tension that we can be in one sound and one harmony with the heart of the Father. And it's so on his heart that during our nights of worship, as we're just in here cultivating the worship, that people's hearts are going to be pulled by the Father. And they're going to experience the beautiful drawing and wooing by him for them to experience heart restoration. To, to experience their hearts being fully restored back to him. And it, it does, it comes through this pulling. And so worship is this a most amazing gift that we get to get. I mean, it's not even for him. Like he, it's so, he's just so good. It's what, what Christy said. It's that his needs get better get met by our need and our need is to know him our need is to be close to him our need is to be drawn by him and so this force of the holy spirit is what is pulling and drawing and so i just believe that this year that as we step out and as we cultivate our our house of healing that it's going to come through experiencing the powerful heart of the father who is pulling and who will pull people into these places of deep deep healing and heart restoration it all happens in the heart One other thing I just kept hearing over and over as Christy was speaking today was that, wow, I mean, even just the tension aspect just brings like all the laws of nature into just even a fuller context, right? So like the law of gravity, like the law of being pulled. I heard him say that, how will we heal? How will we experience flowing and healing? It's because we will be anchored in his nature. 
through being pulled by his love, we will be anchored in his nature. And by being anchored in his nature, we will see hearts and we will see hearts like he sees hearts and we'll be able to speak to those hearts and release just the healing they need. A picture that I've seen so often and being that, you know, just practicing, Papa, how do you see this heart? I'll see it in this really cool, almost like um, multi-dimension way where I, I see the face of the Father, I see Jesus, Holy Spirit's the lend, and then I see their heart, but it's all connected in this one line. It's all connected in this one, in this one string, and I just, I just feel like that he is going to be giving us, like what Tisa's part of the word is, the Oculus Prime. He's going to be opening up our eyes to see this direct line of sons and daughters to the Father. And so whatever the enemy has tried to block or bring sickness or bring disappointment or bring discouragement to them, we will see what that thing is in the way and we'll speak to that. And then they will experience the divine alignment with the Father. And so I just bless us. I just bless our eyes, Papa. I thank you for just this revelation today that you're giving us these eyes to see and to be able to, just like what Jesus demonstrated, know what's on the Father's heart, to be the face of the Father and to release the healing that hearts will need that will manifest in our triune body, soul, and spirit. And so I thank you, Daddy, for this amazing invitation today to step into the more and to be your sons and daughters, to be like the bees who just be, who just, just by our nature, we're anchored in your nature. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So good. Well, we'll be giving you more information about that on Wednesday night for sure. Just be thinking about whether... That's something you would like to invest your time in learning how to pray for people. One of the things I was telling Shudi, um, we've talked about this a lot, is that my personal belief is that every place that someone has sickness is a place where they've not encountered the love of the Father in that spot yet. And they've then... Um, they basically focused, and remember what the word of the year was last year, they've looked at it and looked at it and looked at it long enough that they have made it bigger. And I think, you know, you can just think of examples in your own life when you do that, when you look at something that isn't going the way you want it to, and you actually make it worse by your view of it. And, right? And so, anyway, just a little bit little nugget there. Um, so before I had the Oculus Prime dream, I actually, God, had uh, put in my spirit this First Corinthians 3. It's on your next page about who he says that I am. And I really thought that was just going to be the crux of the word of the year. If you remember whenever I had that funny little thing where I just called people up on Wednesday night at one time and I asked Cheryl, I can't remember now exactly how it rolled out, but do y'all remember And Cheryl said, basically this, what to be in 23. She really was saying that she didn't know. But if you think about um, what this what this word really describes about, um, it's more than you just visualizing um, in with your mind who God says you are. God, it's really, for me, it's about owning the description that God, the creator himself, says about me. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, whenever 
I, I personally began to see God breathing on something. It's not in its fullness yet. It's, it's more like a highlight. It's more like he just shines a spotlight on something. And it's by my ownership of partnering with his heart over it that actually makes it expand. You know, and I have so many examples of this in my personal life, but we are expanding areas in our life positively or negatively, depending on what our outcome of that do we want it to be. You know, when in relationships, you know, I'll just give this little cute example between Cece and I. So I'm a pretty busy girl. And so I do a lot I have a lot of things that I do in a lot of different areas. And, but one of my desires is obviously, especially while we've been working on this word, I want to cultivate our, you know, she's quality time. I'm, I'm not quality time. So I want to cultivate what means quality time to her. And so when someone says to you, you know, this isn't quality time, you, if you are want to invest in that relationship, you either hear that or you just make excuses. Is it right? So I used to have maybe, I don't know, 10 games on my phone that I would play. And they're a really good, um, just mindless activity for me. You know, I have no desire to win anything, but it's just like, it's just a mindless activity. And I don't have very many of those. But I remember one day when we were having a little bit of a conflict about quality time, then she would say, well, even if you're spending time with me, you're playing on your phone. And so the Holy Spirit said to me right then, he said, I want you to take all those games off your phone. And this was, this was months, this was before the word of the year. And now that I rethink about it, it was months ago. But anyway, I remember thinking to myself right then, that's not that that's, that's for me. Like, why do I have to give up that for her? You know, because she just deemed that quality time and then she just decided that she don't, um, that in that moment, it's just a value system. And so I want to be who he said for me to be. And one of the things he said for me to be is to invest in a person with their quality time. Does, is this making sense? It's just a really practical example probably. But anyway, in that moment, I took, I haven't put them back on ever, but I put, took them off on my phone, of my phone. But it was really about turning my attention toward what quality time meant to her. And I couldn't see that in the moment because I was in proximity. I don't know anybody understands what I'm saying, but that's kind of how practical God is on understanding how we can easily adjust things in our lives easily that we've just set up that we didn't even know why we set them up. We don't even know what they mean. And so because I'm meant to be God's inner sanctuary, I bet y'all have some adjustment you need to do. If I really saw myself the way he sees me, and I can say these words, I will be what you say. I will be your holy habitation. I will be your prepared bride. I will be your lover. I will be your friend. I will be your holy one. I will be the one you flow through. This is just a little cadence he gave me as a declaration that we all could take this home and read the scripture. And at the end, it says, 
that we're God, God's inner sanctuary is holy, and that's exactly who you are. That's exactly who he says you are. And I, I hope my prayer for you from this word today is that at the end of the year, you will feel like I feel about me, that, that this is who I am. He said I was this, I made adjustments in my life, and this is who I am. And I hope my life represents to you that I believe what he says about me. And I hope that you'll do the same. I wanted, before we live, left, I want to just read our going out decree and our tithe decree. Um, and then we'll, we'll be done for today. Have you had fun? <laughs> Remember that um, we will be um, doing these decrees for as long as we decide we will. Um <laughs> Start to say for the whole year, but we've never, last year was the first time we've ever done the one decree the whole year. Did you know that? You didn't know that because y'all don't even pay attention to stuff like that, but I do. <laughs> anyway, I know. This is my father's house. I live and walk in the father's full acceptance. No lies or chains or strongholds can hold me. I am who you say I am. I am what you say I am. I missed the who part back there. Y'all don't read with me because y'all are messing me up a little bit. I am your holy habitation. I am your prepared bride. I am your lover. I am your friend. I am your holy one. I am the one you flow through. As I go out today, I will display my heart of worship for you. <laughs> I will reflect your light to the world. The world will be changed by me. Who will I be in 23? I will be who he says I am. Get ready, get ready, world. Here I come. Get ready. I'm coming. <laughs> and I want to read this tithe decree over us. And today I offer to you what you so freely gave to me. I give you a portion as a declaration of my love. I mark this gift with purpose, and I mark it with destiny. Papa, thank you for the ability to make wealth. Give me wisdom in how I am to use it. Papa, I want my life to be lived out loud for others to see. Grant me access wherever I go. Give me increase in my abilities. Give me favor in the area of my personal influence. Intersect me with open hearts in a new way this year. My life will resemble heaven in my ability to love and serve others. My life will reflect your radical generosity. I trust you and you alone as provider, protector, sustainer of my life. I know you are the God of more than enough. This year will be marked by your blessings by your favor, by your movements, by your increase. We declare blessings on this house, blessings on our hands, blessings on our minds, blessings on our creativity, and blessings in our relationships. In Jesus' name. So let me pray over us. Papa, I just love your words. 
I love the outcome of these words. When December of 2023 arrives, I love the outcome of what these words will produce in us. I thank you that you speak to us in mysteries and rhymes and and hidden parables and things that with our natural mind we would lose sight of your meaning. But I thank you that you've given us the supernatural ability, the divine anointing to purposely pursue with you, Holy Spirit, the deepest meanings of your nature, of your way. And I just pray over us as a family today that just the illumination of this word would begin to expand the moment we arise from these chairs today. And I speak an anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon us to pursue and rightly grasp all that you have for us. I say that we will be the apprehenders of your glory this year. We will begin to illuminate the light of knowing you to the world in a new way. And so I bless all of us today. I bless Cece today as she is a great example of one who has lived in the tension until revelation of the tension has come. And I pray over her that this would be a year of ease, that this would be a year where that understanding of the secrets of the honeycomb would become a delicious meal for her to partake in. And I bless her life. I bless her health. I bless her relationships and all that you are doing in and around her. Papa, I just thank you for her diligence to be an artist of your influence and uh, of your efficiency of words and the articulation and excellence that she brings to the house and to what we produce here. And so I bless this coming year with more and more and more of your words. And I thank you for the collaboration for my life that she brings such excellence to my life. And so I bless her today. And I just thank you for everyone who assisted and and put their stamp of anointing on this book. And I just ask that we would cherish it and we would establish it as a marker for us this year. Let's all stand. Let's just lift our hands. Let's just thank Papa today for his goodness over us. Thank you for speaking to me today. Thank you for meeting with me today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.